Before we get into today's episode, I just want to say a massive thank you to the podcast sponsor, that is FC Sensory. FC Sensory are a football club based in Coventry, offering free football sessions to visually impaired and blind people of all ages across the city and the surrounding areas. They are currently looking for people under the age of 16 and especially over the age of 16 to take part in their sessions. If you would like to know more, please email fcsensory at protonmail.com. That's fcsensory at protonmail.com. I know growing up in Coventry myself, if I had the opportunity to play a sport such as blind football, I would have jumped to the chance. So if you know someone or you are someone yourself that would be interested in taking part in any of this, then please email them and they will let you know of all the details and necessary information. Let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of That Blind Nice Podcast and the final episode of the Blind Sports Series. If you haven't already, please go and check out the other three episodes where you get to find out about blind football, judo, goalball and also tandem cycling. But today we're going to be focusing on another fairly popular sport across the world, um, especially in the UK and South America and basically everywhere. Um, and that is rugby, more specifically visual impaired rugby. And the host I have on today to speak about that is Aaron Fowler. Aaron, how are you doing? Hi, Jamie. Yeah, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? Great. I'm not too bad, thank you. Thank you for taking time out your your evening to, to come on and talk to myself. Ah, no, no worries. Thank you for having me on. So, first of all, like I asked everyone, how's uh, how's life? How's how's things? Yeah, yeah, things are good. Um, so, uh, yeah, my day job is as a, a physiotherapist working in, in uh, the NHS. So um, every day is, uh, you know, busy when you work in the NHS, never, never bored. So uh, that's good. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, sort of my, my sort of main passions, I guess, are sort of uh, hiking and uh, playing fishing, playing rugby, obviously, uh, going to the gym, running, things like that. So uh, yeah, yeah, life's, life's good. Always, always keeping busy, like I say. You mentioned physio there what's that like for for yourself like with a visual impairment just do you find that impacting much or is it kind of something you just you almost forget that it's a thing so i work on a rehabilitation ward at community hospital so um patients come to us from uh, the big acute hospital in reading um because they need more rehab before they can go home so we get a, a real mixture you know some patients that have fallen and fractured their hip uh patients that maybe had a stroke that have ms uh parkinson's disease um the occasional amputee patient so we get a real variety uh, of patients and the most challenging thing for me i'd say working on a ward is um i've got uh retinitis pigmentosa which um causes tunnel vision so um there's obviously lots of obstacles about so i'm constantly kind of scanning around when i'm you know sort of walking around the wards and things like that um but because i know the environment really well like that really helps and i'm very open with my colleagues about my sight loss as well so i'll say to them you know if i'm working with you and you tell me where something is you know please be specific rather than saying it's over there and pointing because i'm just not going to see it um so it, it, there are some challenges but i think you know that's probably the same with with most jobs you know my, my work is generally very supportive and um you know some of my managers are good that if i feel like i need any extra support i feel like i can uh sort of chat to them but there's actually um 
quite a long history of visually impaired physios. I don't know if you're aware, there's a, an organisation called the um, Association of Visually Impaired Chartered Physiotherapists, and they've been going for, I don't know, at okay. least 75 to 100 years probably, because um, physiotherapy, you know, say even 50 years ago, used to be a lot more hands-on, a lot more manual therapy, massage, things like that. But the landscape and the and the scope of practice of physio has, has changed vastly and it's a lot less hands-on now. So I do think visually it's harder now for someone who is vision impaired or blind than it perhaps was in the past, to be honest. Yeah, I've, I've never, I didn't know that was a, that was a thing that, that is interesting. I have to give that a research after this. Is it, was it uni that took you to being or wanted to be physio? And was that always the, the case for you or was it kind of you didn't really know until you got out of uni kind of thing um yeah so to us I think when I when I was at college like I didn't really know 100% what I wanted to do um the only thing I probably really wanted to do was to sort of coach football to be honest but um you know everyone around me I guess you know was good intention said sort of do something that you could do should the worst happen to your eyesight and so you know I guess there's that like I said like I was just saying you know the the stereotype of physio sort of you know it's hands-on and, and things like that um so I guess that's kind of why I went into it but also you know I've always loved sport um you know I quite like learning about anatomy I um, enjoy doing a job where I can help people so um yeah to become a physiotherapist you have to go to university and, and do an undergrad um so um, I went to Hertfordshire University um and um when I finished uni um didn't really kind of I just kind of lost the enjoyment for physio didn't really want to carry on with it um so I then sort of worked for a year um, at a logistics company where my dad worked and then I did a sports journalism course and then I uh, loved that really enjoyed it um then worked as a sports journalist for a couple of years um and then got back into physio probably about four and a half years ago yeah that's interesting you said obviously the condition that you've got is something that where your eyesight can deteriorate over time obviously it's different with everyone but have you ever thought like if your eyesight if it is able to watch it deteriorate over the years do you think physiotherapy would still be a you know a, a, a viable option for you and would you continue it or would you think you'd be made to look elsewhere um I, I think there are roles within physio that you could still do maybe that might be more managerial or uh teaching or uh, you know something like that uh, but i still think there are and or you know working in a different department to where i work now um so there there are there's definitely still a job you can carry on with but um you know I, I don't know if physio is what i'll be doing for the rest of my life or you know if the right opportunity came up within journalism you know I, i'm sure i could be tempted back into that as well so um you know at the moment i'm enjoying what i'm doing um gives me the time to sort of you know uh train for my rugby and do my podcast and, and things like that so um yeah at the moment i'm i'm content with where i am but um yeah we'll we'll, we'll see what the future has to hold you mentioned journalism there, which takes me nicely to what obviously your job was prior to um, being a physiotherapist. Where where did that come about? If you kind of went for a uni with physio in your mind, how did being I, being a journalist? Sorry, I I had a before I went to uni, I um, did uh, know I had a, a friend, um, uh, someone I played sort of blind cricket with, who was a, a sports journalist, and I was really I was really quite interested in doing sports journalism. And I think the only reason I didn't go into it is because of how competitive, you know, I kind of heard it was. Um, and to be honest, when I when I left uni, I, I did go for a few physio interviews. But the, the the first question that would always come up was like, "What can you see?" You know, it was never about my ability as a physio. You know, despite you know getting a two one, doing well at uni, um, and to be honest, my, my vision at that point wasn't really an issue at work. Like I'd, I'd only use a cane at night time. Like I was, you know, I was, I was still pretty good. Um, and I just got and then 
I then got my guide dog Banwell, uh, though, and then I I'd been offered some work. Um, didn't take my guide dog to an interview because I just felt that that would probably go against me. And then as soon as I told him I had a guide dog, you know, there was no talk of reasonable adjustments. It was just like, oh well, we we can't accommodate you. So I just kind of thought, well you know, forget this, like, this isn't an industry I really want to be into because all the bad experiences I'd had at interviews and things like that. So um, I think when I went into journalism, I, I just very much had this mindset of like, I've, right, I've got to be the best at what I do and just work really hard at it. Um, so I did a, um, I went to News Associates, which is a journalism training uh, college in, uh, now based in Twickenham. And it's basically the best, has the best pass rate uh, of anywhere in the country, you know, any university, anything like that to do an NCTJ, which uh, course, which is what you generally, most media organizations will want you to do to, to get a role within journalism. Um, and then whilst I was doing my journalism course, I um, did lots of work experience. Um, a couple of places I did work experience was um, at TalkSport and also at Sky Sports News. Um, and then I was really lucky to kind of get offered some work off the, off the back of that, really, and, and was you know lucky to work at some great places and work with a lot of you know good people. And um, yeah, had a, had a good time. And what I would say with journalism is um, it's a very competitive industry and it's also... Um, can be a lot of unsociable hours, you know, lots of sort of evenings, weekends, things like that. So, um, yeah, but uh, no, no, I, I enjoyed it. It was good. Was it, do you very much prefer like what you have now in terms of working environments to journalism and that, like you said, it's can be unsociable hours and you probably might find yourself maybe alone a lot of the time, whether you're writing or, or traveling, whatever it is compared to now where you're constantly you know, with your colleagues and with people, your, you know, people that you work with, your, your clients. I think what I would say now is that I definitely have a much better work-life balance. I mean, um, you know, I sort of work half eight till half four, Monday to Friday, you know. So um, like I was saying earlier, you know, I have the time to, you know, go to the gym in the evenings, you know, do my podcast, play my rugby at the weekends, get out hiking, you know. So I definitely have a much better work-life balance. I think also I struggle sitting at a desk all day. Um, I'm very much someone that likes to be up, being active, you know, chatting to people, you know, on a ward you've got lots of people around to, you know, interact with. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I definitely have a better, much better work-life balance than than when I was in journalism, that's for sure. Mm, very, very proactive, which I think comes into it, especially, or more so, when we go on to talk about, which we will do now, the sport that you um, that you mentioned that you play on weekends, and that is VI rugby. So do you want to kind of explain how, that became a thing for you and that a passion of yours and and also explain what vi rugby is compared to your standard rugby yeah so uh i've always been a, a big rugby fan uh you know growing up i mean uh probably from the age of about six or seven you know i've, I've been watching rugby i think when i went to my first game when i was about eight um and my dad's always been a big rugby fan which is probably why you know i kind of got into it um only played a little bit of, at school we didn't really have that many opportunities to play rugby at my school um it's also probably not the easiest sport in the world to play when you're visually impaired um but then in about 20 I, I, so there's a visually impaired rugby was started by a charity uh, based in Croydon called the Change Foundation and they do a lot of um projects uh, through sport um with people from disadvantaged backgrounds whether that's um you know people from kind of um in the cities um like uh, they've been doing some schemes with um, like Ukrainian refugees they've been doing stuff with like girls out in India through cricket I believe so they have lots of different projects going on and, and I was aware in 2016 that you know vision impaired rugby had become started but because of my work shifts and things like that at the time I just wasn't able to get along to training but then um in about 2019 I can't remember what 
what made me decide to get in contact. But um, yeah, so you know, saw it kind of come up and thought, wow, well, let's go along and give it a go. And um, yeah, loved it. Uh, we trained in Twickenham at the time, and um, you know, met some really nice people. And um, then I'd heard that um, they were taking an England team out to uh, Japan in 2019 to play a series during the World Cup against Japan out there. And uh, unfortunately, I'd missed the trial, so they'd already selected the team. Um, however, sort of a few months later, um, I had a message from one of the coaches saying, you know, one of the, someone who was supposed to be going, um, you know, unfortunately, I had to drop out. Uh, was I still interested? So I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, went up to Japan. We won a, a series out there, 3-0 against the Japanese side, which was great. Um, had an awesome experience in Tokyo. And it's kind of, you know, kind of snowballed from there, really. We then went out to France in October to play an international vision-paired rugby tournament against France and Ireland, uh, which we won uh, down in Toulon back in October. Um, and in terms of how the game's played, so we play seven-a-sides touch rugby. Um, so a tackle is when someone places two hands, somewhere between shoulder and the knees. Um, and when, a bit like rugby league, when you get tackled, you have to sort of roll the ball through your legs. Um, and after six tackles, the ball gets turned over. Um, scrums and lineouts are uncontested. Uh, the ball has ball bearings in it. Uh, our pitch is probably about two thirds the size of a full size rugby pitch. And you can't kick the ball uh, out of hand. You know, like yeah, like in a normal game of rugby, you know, you can kick the ball during play. Um, you can't do that in VI rugby. Um, I think one of the reasons, one of the first series they had, you know, the ball was on the floor. Some players tried to dive on it and then there were sort of injuries and things. So I think they kind of took that out of the game. Um, another difference is if there's a knock-on, um, your team just loses a tackle. So rather than the ball being turned over. Um, yeah, other than that, it's it's kind of, you know, uh, very much similar to, to a, a standard game of rugby, really. Is it still very, um, very contact, I suppose you can say? Like, it's you know, it's not for the faint height sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, like when I was in France, um, you know, I, I was defending on my try line when the island players came running in and, uh, you know, you, you get lots of visually impaired people running about. You know, you're going to get collisions occasionally, aren't you? So, you know, prided heads. But, you know, everyone was OK and, you know, you just get on with it. So, you know, you still do get, you know, injuries, but there's there's a risk with with any sport, isn't there? You know, you can go out for a run as well and, and get injured. Mm. But, you know, the, the game is 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 touch rugby. So, you know, I, I, it's certainly not contact. So that shouldn't put anyone who's thinking about coming and trying the game, you know, certainly don't let it put you off because, you know, injuries are are rare in it, rarer in our sport. Um, but, you know, there's always a risk, isn't there, when you've, you know, in any sport of, of getting injured, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those where it's just, you got to, you kind of got to accept it. Yeah, like you said, it's rare, but it, it can happen on the occasion. And like you said, so that, that shouldn't put anyone off trying it and getting into it um what what is it like traveling to these obviously like you said you've traveled to japan tokyo and japan you traveled to france what is it what's what are the differences in those countries playing vi and just generally being vi compared to being in in england um so japan was was pretty good um i think there was like um different lots of, you know i don't know if you've ever been to um like more a good example would be like moorfield's eye hospital in london if you get off at um i think it's old street uh tube station there's a like green line that's kind of like tactile and you can kind of follow that uh from the tube station all the way to the hospital so in japan in certain places like in train stations things like that they'll have like these tactile paving and you like different types of tactile paving as well and you can sort of follow them along so it's quite 
quite easy to navigate. Um, the only downside with Japan though is um, the, the like bikes seem to be allowed to sort of cycle on the pavement all the time. So um, you know, that was a real pain in the bum having <laughs> lots of uh, bikes coming at you. And also Tokyo <laughs> is just so busy. You know, it's, it's an awesome city, but um, it is very busy. So you know, sometimes like the crowds could get a bit uh, a bit frustrating. Um, but uh, no, Japan was an awesome place. I think um, you know culturally it's very. It has a lot of similarities to you know like the UK and the US you know Western culture, but in other ways you know they're, they're uh, Japanese people are found to be very polite, very respectful, um, things like that. So um, it, it also had it's very much had some you know quite big differences to to Western culture. Um, but yeah, I would recommend you know Tokyo to anyone. Um, and in terms of playing rugby, you know the Japanese team were uh, a really good size. They gave us you know three good games. Um, you know they had quite a bit of pace on their side. I think the biggest difference was just that we had more structure to our play and, and had been training together a bit longer. And I think ultimately that's what um, and our fitness was probably maybe a little bit better. So I think that's probably what um, you know helped us win. Um, and then France. I mean, um, yeah, France. To be honest, is you know, kind of very similar to the UK, just the weather's better and obviously a different language, really. Um, but in terms of, you know, for someone who's visually impaired, um, I mean, I, I found it probably quite similar to the UK in terms of, um, you know, um, tactile paving, crossings, um, you know, things like that. I mean, I, I still have, I'm lucky that I still have some useful central vision. Um, I use a cane to get around, but um, yeah, generally, you know, I, I found the people out there friendly, Um and in terms of playing rugby, you know, the rugby was good. Uh, VR rugby is quite new in France. So, um, you know, it's it's just it's just getting started over there, really. So hopefully it can continue to expand. Whereas I think now, you know, it's had the chance to grow a lot more in Japan. I think they, I think someone told me they've got like four teams now out in Japan, which is brilliant to hear. So um, so hopefully, yeah, the same will happen okay, with, yeah. with France. But um, yeah, Toulon was a beautiful place. Um, we were out there in October and the weather was sort of 25 to 30 degrees every day. So, um, you know, the weather was gorgeous for our, our rugby out there. Um, Go on the beach for a few hours before training as well, which was really nice. So, uh, yeah, it's it a really great experience. Mm, yeah, that's that's fascinating, I find. Like, I was always interested in how other countries perceive, you know, visual impairment as as it is and then obviously like, like we're talking about visual impairment sports and how how much um effort i suppose is put into you know uh raising the profile and and making people more aware and how many opportunities people in those countries have to play those kind of sports which is always you know it varies across the world so yeah it's always fascinating to hear that you were saying, obviously, in France, VI rugby, although rugby itself is massive in France, VI rugby is relatively relatively new. When elsewhere where rugby is massive is obviously countries like South Africa, South Africa um, Australia and New Zealand. Forgive me for not just having much knowledge <laughs> on on it, but are they, also, are they very much in the VI rugby game or... Is it also kind of just getting started over there? What's what's the no, scenario for them, those countries? So, yeah, so uh, New Zealand have a team. So actually the, the first um, international series that was ever played was um, uh, down in New Zealand in 2017 during uh, the Lions tour. So they took like a, a blind Lions side, I guess, to play against the New Zealand team. Um, so they've been going quite a while down in New Zealand. And then other countries now, there's teams in Japan, uh, France. Uh, it's played in Italy, I believe, Ireland. Wales, England, 
Argentina, I believe, as well. Um, and then the Change Foundation, I believe, have sort of been in talks with uh, a few other countries, like uh, I think USA is one of the countries they're looking to set it up, Georgia as well. Um, they were due to... Uh, so in 2021, the plan was to get a team set up in South Africa and then take like a team across uh, during the Lions tour in 2021. But because of COVID um, and the lockdowns, obviously that put a, a stop to that. But um, yeah, so hopefully, you know, it's only a matter of time before... Uh, more countries are setting up teams and, and you know, hopefully at the next World Cup we'll be able to have a tournament with more more teams as well. Because at the moment, you know, like we don't get any funding from the RFU. So like when we went to France, you know, as players, we uh, fundraised for the Change Foundation to basically fund our uh, trip, you know, our flights and our accommodation out there. So, you know, we raised, I think, best part about £9,000. Uh, within a couple within a couple of months to be able to go, so um, yeah, you know, hopefully as the game grows, hopefully the backing from you know, the the RFU and the the governing rugby governing bodies will improve as well. How important is that, um, would you say, for organisations like the RFU to to fund you know these sports like VI rugby and other disability rugby um, competitions? I think it's massively important. I think they're, um, you know, uh, not doing their jobs properly by not supporting them, to be honest. Um, I think, you know, if if you're the governing, you know, generally what happens is uh, governing bodies will, will wait for a sport to get to a certain level in terms of numbers of teams, numbers of participation before they start to back it. But actually what the sport needs is for the RFU to get behind it, um, to help promote it. Um, and, you know, because they'll have the, the presence on social media or uh, be able to, you know, probably make contact with journalists to, to get help get word out there and things like that. And, you know, the money will be there because at the moment, you know, we have players that cut. So we train in at Sutton and Epsom Rugby Club uh, in uh, London. And, you know, a lot of our players come down from Manchester, from York. Uh, one of our players, Paul, flies over from Northern Ireland. Uh, a lads coming from Worcester, Bristol. So, you know, a lot of the guys, are, you know, it costs quite a lot of money for the guys to, to come to training sessions as well. And, um, you know, like I was saying, you know, we had to obviously fundraise to um, go to France. We paid for ourselves to go over to our, uh, we, I, think our sorry, I think our hotel was paid for for one night uh, when we went to Dublin. Um, but we paid for our flights and things to go over to Dublin to play the Irish team uh, back in May as well. So, you know, it, it's a big commitment for the players as well. And I think, you know, if, the, if you know, the governing bodies step up and help fund disability sports, you know, it helps take that pressure off, doesn't it? Because I think, you know, especially with visual impairment, with visual impairment, I think there's a stat, it's like only like, 30% of people who are like registered and visually impaired are in employment. So, you know, there's also that financial side of it as well that, that can affect people. And it is, it's interesting look to look and hear about VI rugby compared to say VI and blind football where, you know, the FA, the football association fully take on board, you know, blind football, VI football all across the country, you know, there's, there's clubs dotted around the country and you see on TNT Sports is now called the FA Disability Club stuff like that, and it, it you, you see what's you know what's possible. I know there's not as much money in rugby as there is compared to to football, but you see what's possible and how far it can reach with you know some backing and 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 funding from those main organisations and bodies. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's, you know, it is really key. Um, you know, I think a really good example is like, say, the the football. And the, I mean, I think it, the blind football's had quite good backing for, you know, a, a little bit longer, I think, than the partially sighted futsal has. But, um, you know, it's great to see the FA now backing both of those. And like you say, 
you know, it's, it's, it's done wonders for the game. And, and the other VI sports as well, you know, get quite good backing, you know, um, like judo, I think, you know, get quite good support. Um, goalball is, is quite well supported as well. So, you know, um, cricket as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I used to um, play blind cricket, train with the England team for about a year. And, you know, the ECB would sort of like fund your hotels and your training kit and, you know, things like that. So, um, you know, they've had good backing for a while. So hopefully, you know, VI rugby is, like I say, is quite new as a sport it's only been going seven years so hopefully one day it will it will get back in i mean we, we, we are lucky you know i should mention um some like i've you know obviously the change foundation have been brilliant um and all the support and everything they do in helping the game grow um sutton and sutton and epson rugby club we've been training there uh for know, six to nine months now whatever it's been um and they've been really supportive you know um they've given us a home somewhere to train you know made us feel very welcome made us feel part of the club um, their players, you know, are great. They come and give us um, sort of like friendly matches where, you know, before going out to like France, we played a few games against them. So, yeah, everyone there has been really supportive. Um, the Wasps Legends Foundation as well um, donated quite a large sum of money, I think, a few years back to Vision Paired Rugby. So, you know, they've been incredibly supportive. Um, and there's a couple of other sponsors, I think, as well. So, you know, there, there are some organisations that have been been brilliant but it would be great to see you know like the rfu and, and some other world rugby and things you know getting behind the sport a bit more in future years would be would be great 100 what's rugby like on a on a local level you obviously said earlier on that you obviously train in london and you've got people traveling from manchester and, and bristol and etc is that is that due to them not being rugby vi rugby teams in their local areas is it just not like they're kind of uh, spread out just yet yeah, so currently there's only three uh, sort of club sides in the UK. Uh, there's uh, Cardiff, uh, so the the Cardiff Blues um, get you know get good back in from from their club, um, and we normally play them at Cardiff Arms Park most years, which is always a, a good day out and a great venue to play rugby. Um, then Worcester Warriors have a side, um, and then the main team really where uh, is sort of well, where I train in London. We we used to be sort of Harlequins VI rugby team because we used to get a little bit of support from Queens, but that sort of faded out. So I, I don't know if we. I I think we're all kind of hoping that maybe we'll become sort of Sutton, like be known as Sutton and Epsom uh, rugby VI team because uh, sometimes when we play games, we're just sort of like either as Harlequins or a VI Barbarians team. But uh, yeah, most of the player, the like most the England team kind of now train you know sort of um, in London at the moment but there are there are sort of plans I think and sort of talks with hopefully getting the club set up in the north of the country as well uh, probably around sort of Manchester kind of area so um, hopefully over the next few months you know there'll be exciting developments there and um, yeah hopefully as time goes on because you know I think you know if we can get sort of say four four teams and have a league that's also gonna uh, you know, if you've got lots of games for people to to play in, then uh, that'd be great. Because I think one of the problems we've had is that sometimes, you know, all of us that play are, are, are big rugby fans and love the game. A lot of the lads have played to a pretty decent stand and things like that. Um, but I think for anyone new coming into the sport, like you've got to have then training's great, but you've then got to have the opportunities for people to play. Because if you go and play a sport like goalball, football, cricket, you know, there's lots of opportunities to play games as well. So our sport is, you know, gradually mm. growing. We play, um, you know, against some friendlies and tournaments against like fully sighted teams. And sometimes they're well, um, like simulation goggles when we play them so they can experience what it's like to play uh visually impaired so already next year uh you know we have a tournament in southgate uh, in north london at southgate rugby club which we have every year which they do as like a fundraiser for vi rugby 
um, where we play against sighted teams. Uh, and then we've, we're doing some demonstration games as well as quite a few like rugby sevens events next year, which will, you know, help spread word of our sport and things like that. So, um, yeah, like I say, I think hopefully over the next year or two, we can get some more clubs set up and eventually maybe uh, a domestic league and, and, and sort of see the game grow from there. Mm. And is it is it um, a sport of the Paralympics yet, or is that also one of the things you'd like to see happen? In uh, so it's not at the moment. I think the sport's too new. Um, I think to be able to sort of become a sport in the Paralympics, I think you probably have to, um, you know, have the game being played in certain number of countries and perhaps participation levels being at certain uh, a certain level. Um, so yeah, again, I think that's probably a long t- longer term goal. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to see the game. You know, say. 20 years, 30 years time uh, in the Paralympics, um, you know, I'll definitely be too old by then to <laughs> still be uh, getting in in the England team, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, it's what I'm enjoying is being part of a sport, you know, in its early stages and hopefully helping it grow and doing, you know, I'll do whatever I can to help spread the word of it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time to be involved with the game. And I, I think the, I think the, um, you know, possibilities for VR rugby are massive. I mean it's it's skillful, it's fast paced. And to be honest, I think if it I think it has the potential to be one of the you know most exciting sports in the um uh, in the Paralympics as well, to be honest. Mm, that, that's that's the thing in it. It's just like any sport, especially things like sports like rugby, football, cricket, you know, they're all in their in mainstream, they're all massive sports and followed all over the world. And there's it, just so it's a massive platform there for a sport like VR rugby to to take and to just 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 kind of capitalize on really and, and you know what i mean like and and get as many people as possible playing or understanding it or just just simply watching it yeah and i think you know we're in a position now where you know there are more teams setting up more countries playing and uh like i said so the game is is always you know growing and i think that's that's the key thing is, is you know as long as it keeps growing there's also the interest there to play but um i'd you know strongly recommend anyone to to come and give it a go you know if you're thinking about it um you know it's a friend friendly group of guys to play um you know i think it'd be good to see more women get involved in the game as well so ireland when we play ireland you know they have a few women in their team so it'd be good to you know see some women get involved with the sport as well because it's you know it's for everyone um so um yeah what would you say the kind of a good starting point would be for, you know, either the, the three rugby clubs that exist now or kind of the governing body that sees over VR rugby. Where do you think it would be good to start to like, you know, start um expanding and, and spreading the word? Would you say like go into a bit biased with this, but like going to say RNC in, in, in Hereford and having like open kind of sessions there or yeah i mean similar things around the country i I think things are already sort of you know being put in progress really i think it's uh things like um i mean you know like i said one of our players has sort of been in contact with a team uh, in uh, the north of the country about possibly setting up a a team you know up there so uh, that'd be great i think you know like i say the change foundation have been in talks with uh, you know organizations in a few other countries about setting teams up there so that's obviously going to help the game grow um it's just things like um you know maybe going along to like the British blind sport have a go days and having a presence there, which I think, um, you know, there might be a plan to maybe do a bit more of that next year, going along to like sevens tournaments like we are to do demo games. 
Um, and us as players as well, you know, I think we, you know, us as players have a responsibility to help spread the word. You know, if we meet any other VI people or uh, like when I came back from France, you know, I, I posted a group on um, the Wokenham where I live, uh, like Facebook sort of residence group and um, just about it. And then I had a message from a woman who's a producer at BBC Radio Berkshire. So they invited me to go in and, and do an interview uh, two weeks ago uh, on their radio station, which was, again, you know, brilliant to be able to get word out there. Um uh, so, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's not just down to, you know, the Change Foundation, it's also down to us as players to help spread the word and, and volunteer to do what we can to, to help the game grow too. You say, um, obviously, VI rugby is your thing and you kind of took that off into a different area, which is, I suppose, connected to your, your journalism background and that is podcasting and you have your you have your disability sports podcast that you release um every two weeks where did uh where did podcasting come in for you how did that kind of uh you know come up as a a possibility and um, why disability sport so uh when i was uh, working as a journalist my passion was always trying to help promote an increased coverage of, of disability sports i never went into journalism with that kind of intention but i just kind of it just kind of frustrated me, I guess, that there wasn't more, um, you know, because there's so many great stories within disability sport, yet there's just not like that much coverage of it. I think even since like London 2012, like, you know, not much has really changed, like a little bit maybe, but not really a lot. Um, during my spare time when I was a journalist, I uh, basically uh, co-hosted a show and initially it was called um, Blind Sports Radio and then it became the Disability Sports Network. So it's an online radio station that was established by some visually impaired guys in Australia. Um, so myself and a lady called Fiona, who lives in Hertfordshire, we used to do a UK based show where we would interview um, guests from you know various disability sports. So I used to love doing that. And I also did like a sports report for uh, RNIB's Connect Radio. Um, I worked at TalkSport, but in like production. So I've always enjoyed the kind of like the radio. And I think it's a more authentic way of, of interviewing someone than it is when someone's on camera. Because I think when someone's on camera, it makes them feel a bit more nervous. Um, and yeah, they're just, mm. I'd, I'd kind of been, you know, thinking for a couple of years about starting a podcast and it's like, oh, should I, shouldn't I? But then, um, yeah, I just got some fun. I was like, oh, do you know what? Yeah, let's do it. And um, so I did, just did like an online, um, you know, podcasting course to learn about how to host a podcast, like, you know, where you can host your podcast and how to upload it to, you know, Spotify and Apple and, and how to record it, you know, things like that. Um, I've done a bit of editing as a journalist, but, you know, different programs work in different ways. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I, I, you know, just asked my uh, captain, Jack, that I play rugby with, um, you know, about doing an interview for my first episode. And uh, that seems to go quite well and had some nice feedback. And, um, yeah, I've just gone on from there. So I've had, you know, I've been lucky to have some some great guests, um, you know, some uh, that will kind of be competing at the Paralympics next year. In um, people like Lewis King, who uh, plays for the England Wheelchair Rugby League side, who obviously you know, had a lot of coverage on the BBC last year. Um, so yeah, you know, I've been lucky, and uh, I think every every guest you interview has a great story to tell. And um, yeah, it's just something I, I really enjoy doing. Initially, I started it doing one episode a month, but I was like, actually, I want to try and do it a bit more regularly, and um, you know, gradually get more listens and more followers and things like that. So um, yeah, just got to keep keep working at it, and you know, I think. I think the main thing is is that I enjoy doing it. You know, I think that's that's the key reason to do anything is that you enjoy it. But if it can grow and get help spread the word out there and get stories out there, then that's that's a, that's a bonus. Yeah, I agree. And that, that like you said, that that is the main thing of is enjoyment. If you don't enjoy it, then you're not going to get well for starters yourself asking the best possible questions and getting the best out of your guests. And two, you're just not going to be motivated, are you? You're not gonna you're gonna record and you might forget to upload or 
don't upload your you don't publish on on social media um you know frequently enough and yeah enjoyment is the main thing i can um 100 agree with that as you know being a podcaster myself and like we said before um before we start recording there actually isn't that many at least from what i know of that many podcasts or any type of media i suppose whether it's youtube channel or radio that really shine a light on disability sports so it is definitely a an area that you can get into and be one of the first which you are yeah and when i was uh, also uh, you know when i was working as a journalist in my spare time i ran a, a website which was dedicated to disability sport that was called uh, the disability uh, the disability sports news um and that probably had more content than you know, most of the mainstream media organizations had to be honest and that and that was just something i did in my spare time so you know i, I just used to think well seeing what i do in my spare time imagine what I could do if someone paid me to do this full time, you know. Um, so my podcast, uh, you know, it's called the Disability Sports Podcast, and um, yeah, like I say, I, I think again, there's, there's, you know, there's a couple of other podcasts out there, but there's not, not many. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's nice to be in a, a niche and one of the first out there, and um, hopefully, you know, it can help inspire others to, to maybe get involved in the same, same sort of thing. Mm, and what is on more kind of generic podcasting level? What is it like for you? Um bmvi and when it comes to the the editing side and and everything that comes with producing and running the podcast um so like i was mentioned earlier you know i'm quite lucky that with rp um it's my central vision that's good so i've still got some useful central vision but it's my peripheral vision that's completely gone um so i mean i use magnifier on my on my laptop um you know so i'll, I'll have the magnification on when i'm editing um i use like audacity um but yeah I, I think what i'd say when you're visually impaired and use a magnifier like some sort of magnifying software like i use um you just have to be familiar with the program that you're using because otherwise it can like take a while to find things and things like that but you know i'm very familiar now with the tools that i use so um it's yeah it's not too bad i i, I should imagine if i didn't have any site i should imagine it would become more challenging i'm not sure how well speech software works with editing software um but um yeah no generally generally i'd say it's it's not it's not too bad um i I'm, editing is probably the part i enjoy the least of doing the podcast uh, i'm not gonna lie i think uh you know doing the interviews <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know to publish it out there probably the more exciting bits so i don't, I don't think I'm pro- i probably wouldn't be alone in that bit <laughs> but um yeah like i say generally for me it's okay uh so for some it's taken me a while to figure out things out but you know i've got a, a way that works for me now i guess yeah, I um speech to, to kind of answer your um questionnaire. Speech software does so like Jaws does work with Audacity quite well t- to my knowledge, but just to save confusion and kind of being there for hours and end, I give those duties to my fiance who does a um an extremely good job uh, at editing, much better than I can even do if I even supposed to sit there for hours and end trying to perfect it. So um, yeah, but that's not to put off people people who are a VI or or blind um starting a podcast because it is thankfully it is accessible if you know what to use and you have the right accessible software um to hand. And one thing I would say, I guess, as well about uh, you know things like podcasts or YouTube or 
you know, social media thing like TikTok, especially, um, you know, is, is it as much as, you know, kind of like we were saying earlier, that, you know, there aren't, there isn't a lot of coverage of disability sports amongst mainstream media, like, because there is now so many uh, different uh, forms of media out there that allow people to get their own content out there. It's like, you're not necessarily reliant on it because you, you know, it's just, it's just, it takes time to build an audience. So I think equally it's an exciting time for, you know, people who are, um, you know, um, maybe underrepresented in, um, you know, in mainstream media, because, you know, there's now a chance to do it yourself and, and help spread word. So, um, yeah, I think equally it's, it's quite an exciting time to be, to be involved with things like that. And I don't know if you agree, but like from what I found out, especially during this little mini sports series is obviously myself, Formerly being a student at RNC, the Royal National College for Bayern in Hereford, I've got to know very well some people who are in sports like goalball, football, um, cricket, and what have you. And, you know, like we said a couple of times throughout this podcast, that their stories aren't really told that much, you know, outside of the disability circle, so to speak. So being able to kind of tap into that and, you know, put their stories on a, a bigger kind of platform where, you know, you're quote unquote, you know, able-bodied people are able to to access it and find out about these people you know it's kind of a win-win situation yeah and i think you know for me sometimes the best interviews i do are ones with people that whose stories i don't know too much about you know like if you were to interview say cristiano ronaldo you know what's he going to tell you that you know someone probably hasn't already asked him you know whereas like you say there are so many yeah. people out there with great stories to tell but just don't get the chance to get them out there so that's that's for me what i enjoy doing yeah that, and that's that is the, the beauty of of uh, disability support and blind spot in it. Like you don't see, occasionally you'll see an article or something, you know, what, no, on BBC Sport or on Football Focus or something like that. Do you know what I mean? But that's it. You sit for another three, four months yeah. until something yeah. happens, kind of thing. Whereas people like me and you, we get to kind of do it on a regular basis and, and speak to all these people who kind of just get on with it and, you know, don't really make a make a noise or anything like that and have such like fascinating stories yeah spot on absolutely uh but yeah no it's great like i say you know it's, it's great like you say that there's podcasts now that are, that are helping to spread word of these things so uh, yeah you know it's uh, hopefully that will only carry on growing so yeah i mean we could speak about disability sport and where we'd like to see it and go and and everything that comes with that probably for hours on end <laughs> um because it is kind of just the beginning of disability sport especially for your in your case with VR rugby and it's very much at the beginning um and hopefully it just goes from strength to strength and spreads across the UK and the world because you know it deserves to be it's a, it's a massive sport that is you know it, it can be played at very high level for VR and blind people so yeah I want to say thank you to you Aaron for coming on my podcast and taking time out your evening to talk to talk about yourself and uh the sport no worries, no. Uh, thank you. You know, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. Um, thank you very much for having me on. I uh, really appreciate the chance to, you know, come on and, uh, you know, help spread the word of VR Rugby and, uh, yeah, keep up the great work you're doing with the podcast. It's, uh, you know, enjoy listening to a few of your episodes and I'll definitely be uh, tuning in for more. No problem. Thank you very much. If people want to find yourself and if people want to find out about VR Rugby and where they can kind of get involved in whatever capacity, where can where can they go? So uh, if you want to find out more about VI Rugby or, you know, get involved, um, you can either uh, follow at VI Rugby on Instagram. Uh, that's uh, myself and uh, one of my teammates, Jack, that run that account. So, you know, we can 
sort of reply with any messages or questions you might have. Um, but equally, uh, best place to get uh, in contact would be to contact the Change Foundation. Um, so if you Google the Change Foundation, they're a charity based in Croydon, um, and they will be able to uh, certainly you know, um, put you in contact with uh, Dan and um, Dean, who are sort of main coaches you know, at our training sessions. Um, in terms of following myself, um, I'm on Instagram. Um, that's the main sort of social media platform you'll find me on, um, at Aaron, so double A-R-O-N-M-J Fowler. Um, mainly it's just uh, podcasts and videos of my walking and hiking and running, really. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out. Awesome. And I do encourage anyone that's listening to to go and have a listen to um, the Disability, Sport, Disability Sports Podcast that Aaron runs. As if you've liked my recent episodes on blind sports, then you'll very much like, I think about 25 episodes have you got now? Um, it, it is. Dipping yeah. into disability sports altogether. So, oh yeah, I very much encourage you to go over there and, and have a listen and and follow Aaron and his uh, his story. So, yeah, thank you once again, Aaron. It's been a been a pleasure talking to you. I hope everyone listening has had just as much enjoyment listening as I have done speaking to Aaron. If you want to find myself, you can at that bland ad on X slash Twitter or at TBL Media UK for the podcast account. Please follow and subscribe on all the platforms that you listen to. Thank you for listening and catch you in the next episode.